Hello and welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're at home, on your way to work, or at the gym, we hope you enjoy this episode. And a special welcome to our Crux Club Early Access members. You can learn more about that at crux-club.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Crux Investor. We're here for our weekly catch-up with the Uranium Insider, Justin Hune. Hello, Justin. How are you? Doing great, Matt. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. But what's busy week in many ways we've we've taken a few more analysts on so we're having to um get them to think mm. and write like we do so that's always fun um nice yeah our we work. haven't spoken in a few weeks i know two weeks i say our weekly catch up where where were you i feel like you've i think we skipped two weeks it's like it's... i think it's three weeks since we've chatted is it too boring was it getting was it getting was it the last two weeks have been boring is that the problem it's been <laughs> It's been slow, although I'm hesitant to, uh, to to wish for excitement because you don't know in what form that'll come. Right. Okay. Um, so it's been slow, but yeah. So, so it wasn't me. No, 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 <laughs> definitely wasn't you. I would tell you. <laughs> I know you would. You, you you don't mind you don't mind telling the truth, eh? So that's good news. Um, well, it has been a bit slow. Um, although I note that there have been a few new people coming to the market new uranium companies um people sniffing around yes. so that's interesting i thought um because of people looking for parallels back to the last cycle that, that this is a this is a sign isn't it so have you spoken to any of those companies or what do you know about them indeed um i've spoken with uh with john bay of standard uranium a number of times mm-hmm. um they ipo'd within the last month um Athabasca Explorer play, kind of a location play. They're, they acquired a property that mirrors the uh, PLS and Arrow uh, trend in the southwestern basin with some exploration plans for later in the year. Interesting. Um, I like John. Uh, they, they've got a pretty good team. It looks like, a, like an interesting story. We'll definitely be following it. We've yeah. had um, kind of this, this shell company uh, establish, which was called Baseload Energy, with uh, James Sykes as CEO, and um, a team I'm not really familiar with. They reached out to me recently, so I'm kind of watching that. Another exploration play. Um, <clears throat> we've had a couple of companies sort of shift to uranium. We have um, uh, GTI Resources, which acquired some property, an ASX company acquired some property in Utah. They're kind of pushing that story. They had a pretty big run the past couple weeks. Uh, what was the other one? Lotus Resources. Don't know much about them, but I know that they did shift towards uranium. And then one that I've just recently looked at called uh, uh, Next Gold uh, NXN on the TSX. They are uh, have an option agreement to acquire some uranium properties from Mega in Australia, and they're shifting to uranium as well. And that's all. This is all within the past uh, two months. I mean, the standard story has been coming for a while, but they IPO'd recently, so it's definitely a, a surge in interest. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. I think yeah, we, we spoke to John, I think, last September, and when he came to London to start, start telling that story. Good guy. We like him. Um, yeah. And as you say, you know, maybe the beginnings of some parallels, or certainly the belief by some people that there are parallels to the last cycle by trying to get into the uranium space. In whatever, whatever shape or form that is, um, I guess we we need to spend some time work out, you know, how good their assets are and you know what their intentions are. 
if indeed they can raise some money for it. That, interesting times, very interesting times. Indeed, yeah. Any of those stick out for you in particular? Well, I think out of all the ones mentioned, I think Standard has probably the most um, vetted and legitimate story. Um, the baseload one is interesting simply because they've got James Sykes on the team and it's notorious for discovering the, the Arrow property, mm. the Arrow deposit, um, not the property. <clears throat> so he's got some some great track record uh, besides that uh, with other discoveries in the Athabasca Basin. So that could get interesting going forward. Um, I mean, both are exploration gambles at this point. They, you know, baseload does not even have any properties yet, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, the standard story looks promising, but they haven't discovered anything yet. So again, it's uh, it's kind of a it's a gamble as an explorer. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess the next gold one looks interesting because um, they actually have proven out 43 101 pounds in the ground through the mega uranium option. Um, I think it's around 16 million pounds. It's not a slam dunk. It's not 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 an amazing story, but market cap is tiny and they're doing a placement now so that that looks interesting just from a risk reward based on the valuation um and then you know the 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 gti resources one um you know they're really kind of touting this the high grade uranium in 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 utah and my understanding is it's not really all that high grade um i don't really know the extent of the of the pounds in the ground there um but it seems like it's you know all of these are kind of just jumping on the uh, the uranium the uranium bandwagon, which I guess is a positive sign for the sector. It's it's encouraging <clears throat> that there's a belief in it. Um, I think the the next thing is will people, institutions, funds, large and small, put their money uh, down on the table? Because um, again, if we think think back, some of the lessons learned in the last cycle is that. You know, some people made a lot of money, and a lot of people lost a lot of money um, by, by uh, betting on the wrong horse and believing this thing would go on forever. So obviously, these are early days, so it's a different source of um, risk profile. But as you say, you know, it's important to. I know, I know, you honed in straight away on the, on the management teams there around you with Standard and um, Baselow with James Sykes. That was that was the first mm -hmm. thing that was important to you, and then you started <coughs> talking about the need. To actually have some assets you know that's always that's always quite good um, right there's very very early stage um people sort of and we and we do see this at every time you know companies segue from into um cannabis or they segue into um bitcoin we've seen it the last you know three or four years where they can't it's just it's effectively just a shell and the management team are trying to monetize things best they can and in this case uranium looks quite appealing from from a distance but all the normal rules of mining apply, and investors should sure. understand that. Um, lots of risk, yep. lots of risk around. So you've got to work out what your risk profile is. Um, <coughs> but he, so, so that's quite exciting. Lots of people coming in here. That, that's that's um, a sign that you know the, the people are taking notice of the uranium special, which has been ignored by generalists and, and, and others for a long time. But the, one of the things I did um, since we last spoke, and it was under your recommendation actually, was to speak to Bill Sheriff at uh, Encore. Mm -hmm. um, I got asked a question this week. Why, why, why did he call it uh, Encore or Encore? I guess that's how we pronounce it over here. Yeah, yeah. It's Encore. Encore, yeah. right? So an Encore. So I was asked that by <coughs> by an investor. Why, why did he call it Encore? Because there's another company called Encore in the oil and gas space. 
I said, um, I, I think possibly because he was trying to repeat what he had done previously. Right. <coughs> so, I think that was the original, the original plan. Yeah, I, 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 I'm guessing. I'm, I'm only guessing at that, but I, I suspect that might be the case. But anyway, um, Bill, really nice guy. You've spoken to him a yeah. few times, haven't you? You know him quite well. He's great. I, I really like him. I think he, uh, I think he's a very ethical manager, which mm. is somewhat unique. Um, yeah, I, I, I listened to the interview. I thought it was really good. I feel like he's, um, <clears throat> he's, he's sincere, and uh, I think that he's pretty honest. I don't think that he, um, I don't get the sense that he makes much of an effort to try to pump um, a certain story or a specific angle. Think that he's just pretty forthright about all right well here's what we're doing here's what i'm looking at here's our plan and and that's pretty refreshing and what did you make of his plan um i think <clears throat> so so encore is one of those stories where they have uh, a pretty diverse range of assets within the us <clears throat> um none of them are are an absolute knockout of the park um, their best assets are these ISR projects in New Mexico, but they're they're a relatively long time to develop. You know, even said it's, we got four or five years of of, of development. Um, even though they're ISR projects, which can de be developed relatively quickly, you know, first you have to have price. Second, you have to work with the local communities, and although these are private holdings, you still basically you need the blessing of the local. First Nations, the Navajo Nation, really to to be producing, especially given the history. He was very uh, the, very the, big on that. I I, I was yes. he's really quite taken by that, he, and he's serious. He's not just saying it as some sort of oh no, ASG he's he's dead serious. Right? dead serious. <clears throat> yeah, he's dead serious. It's it's well, you know, I mean, in the past, um, he, he's been involved in the past in other projects dealing with properties in in the same region. Um, he knows how to deal with these, and a lot of those those dealings just just failed based on other members of other teams that completely, you know, screwed the pooch and were in it for profit and and uh, you know profit only, not seeking to do a win win situation and support the communities. And mm. uh, you have to incentivize the people that actually live there to to support you somehow. And and he's done exactly that. Him him and his wife, who is the CEO of uh, Golden Predator. They've done the same thing with the local First Nations around their Brewer Creek project um, uh, in in Canada, and so that's that's been you know he's got a good history of actually doing what he what he what he's claiming with that for sure. So what do, what yeah. do you think is so, so coming back to the business plan? So sure, what's what's your take on what it is? <clears throat> My take on the business plan is they've got some easy to production stuff in Utah that's not a lot of pounds of uranium. It's a few million pounds, but they can be in production in less than 12 months when the price is there. Um, they've got uh, Energy Fuels as a major shareholder, so they've already talked about, about milling. That shouldn't be a problem. The properties are close to White Mesa. So that's kind of phase one. Phase two would be um, they've got some, some claims with exploration permits in Arizona. Uh, the majority of their claims in Arizona are still under that uh, withdrawal, the, the mining ban. Um, which may or may not be lifted in the future. We'll have to see how that goes. But they do have over 100 claims in legal territory, and a dozen of those or so with exploration permits that they could technically start exploring um, as soon as we see a decent price uh, happen. They had actually planned on doing that this year, but they're they're putting that off due to not just the COVID thing, but the presidential election, see what happens with the 
with the remaining uh, claims and the mining ban. If those get open, there might be some more attractive targets than the ones they already have permits for. Mm. But something in Arizona would kind of be phase two <clears throat> with the New Mexico stuff for farther down the line. And, but I think the biggest thing that I like about Encore, um, as well as a couple of other companies, um, but with Encore's, uh, you know, just the, the language that he uses about kind of the plan moving forward, um, he's very confident, he's very hungry, and he he discussed uh, acquiring cash flowing projects, you know, during the bull market. That was something that um, I haven't heard him say before, and it's not, you know, was, you can scour the website, you're not yeah. going to find that kind of thing. You have to talk to the people to understand what really is their plan kind of going on in the background of their mind. That was absolutely so, my number one <clears throat> takeaway, because we'd been, <clears throat> we'd been contacted before the uh, interview and by, you know, current shareholders and those, you know, we said, send your questions and we're getting lots of questions. So, okay, what are you going to do with the ISR? What about the hard rock? What are you next go to Arizona? You know, phase one, phase two, et cetera. And, and, and the conversation and narrative was very much around these sort of 10 plus assets plus, you know, as you say, over 100 claims. You know, what's going to happen with each one of those? And talk to us about mm. these brachias and how that's going to be mined. And, and obviously, Enviro Leach, you know, that was you know, a big part of the conversation. But not one out of maybe 70 plus people asked me about the MA strategy because I don't think. People were aware. Yeah. It felt like people were. Maybe some people were aware, but they weren't, they weren't talking to us. But it, it, it seemed like a big statement from Bill saying, look, my read of this market is there is no point, for, as far as he's concerned, with his strategy, and every company's different, um, in trying to compete on an exploration level. Because I am, and he's quite, he was quite open about it. As well, I've really liked him. He's a, he said, we're, <laughs> we're, we're five, six years away from on, on these exploration Place and we're going to need to raise the money, and that's going to be dilutive. He felt it was it was a cheaper, quicker, better thing for the company to go and raise some money for an acquisition of producing or near-term producing, which in itself would then generate the capital to actually work out these exploration assets. So he wanted to get yeah. into the cycle rather than you know, wait for the next one to come around, it seemed to me. And I just thought that, I thought there was a huge moment, um, a, huge, yeah. a huge reveal, because he's not known for his um, marketing, I think he said, said on the interview, you know, he's not been spending the money, time or effort, because he didn't see the point. And, and as it turns out, he was right. Um, right. And he called that. He said, it's, and he said, shareholders, five, ten years, don't know, but we're not there yet. And then the second interesting thing he said was, I think that now, and only now, not last year, not the year before, we are starting to see the same sorts of signs with regards to um, the production demand uh, curves that he saw back in 2007, six, seven. So that, that was a, that's a big moment. And you know, you gotta give the guys some credibility, right? He sold his company for 1.8 billion. Um, he kind of yeah. built up a market and built up a company in, in you know, less than three years, two and a half years. You, it's hard to argue with that, with, with someone who's got that track record. Um, that's not to say he, he may not be wrong, but, you know, you're going to listen to him with a little, little bit more sharpened um, pencil and, um, you know, ears, ears flapping right. on that one. So, 
I, I, I kind of really enjoyed his, his his take on the market at the moment. More so, you know, more so than a lot of CEOs that I've spoken to. Perhaps you know, everyone talks their playbook, but there's a sort of right. sincerity and insight. It seemed to me, uh, and and and, um, and sort of honesty about his best course of action, as a, you know, for his his business plan, which is amazing. Sure. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I, I thought that uh, I think that's a great strategy also, and I think that it's um, it's uh, it, it just kind of highlights that you really have to weigh the the management team with the assets, with the projects, with uh, uh, PFS or PEAs of of particular projects if they're there. <clears throat> There's so many different details to weigh when it comes to looking at a company. One of them being management, and I don't think that the only thing you should bet on is management and their past track record. But I think that it does need to needs to come into play for sure. So if you have a fantastic project that's got a killer PEA, it's in a great jurisdiction, um, the numbers look good, <clears throat> you've got a, a PFS, maybe even DFS, and it looks like full systems, full systems go in the next few years, you know, management's track record, you might be able to, to let some things slide. <laughs> because you've got a project that looks killer um, and you've got supportive shareholders, perhaps institutional shareholders. Um, you know, they're all, all, all elements that need to be weighed. But when somebody like Bill Sheriff says part of their strategy is M&A, and then you look at what they did in the last cycle and they acquired five projects in about 18 months, it's like, okay. Yeah, I'm listening. I'll, I'm going to go ahead and believe that. <laughs> I, I am <laughs> listening, absolutely. I mean, yeah. but, but yeah. it's, yeah, I think, so the, I think you can apply a certain weight to the management team and a certain weight um, to the to the asset um, compared to some of the other factors. All, all factors are important because there's lots of ways right. these guys manage to lose our money. Um, right. <laughs> he said bitterly the, through gritted teeth. Yeah. <laughs> but there was. Can, can I just? Oh, I, I want to ask you a question here. So. Sure. So Bill Sheriff's got this track record. It was 13 years ago. Okay. So this, this wasn't yesterday. It was 13 years ago, and. When asked, you know, I said, you know, will will people take your calls? Will 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 the banks, the institutions, the funds take your call? Because it was thirteen years ago. He seemed really, really confident about being able to go and raise this money, and mm -hmm. he wasn't necessarily talking the language <coughs> of pure equity. I mean, what do you think his chances are? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, his ties are are very deep in this world. I don't think he'll he'll ever have a problem raising money. Even yeah. no, even non equity. <clears throat> yeah, some sort of I mean, I mean, I, for, for an I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, the, where the market's at it also also depends on you know. Right now, you might have uh, you might have some some uh, lenders kind of questioning things a little bit, but I think in a bona fide bull market, it shouldn't be a problem. Mm. Um, yeah, but his ties are. I mean. He goes way, way back in the industry and has some really, really solid institutional ties. So I tend to, I tend to believe him on that front as well. Um, but you know, he also he speaks, uh, he he speaks a lot of tongue-in-cheek statements as well, and he doesn't come right out and smack you in the face with exactly what he's up to. So you you sort of have to read between the lines. Um, and I've I've kind of learned that over the years. I've spoken with him a number of times in the past couple of years, and I, the first time I spoke with him was like. He was uninterested completely in the market and was just kind of like, yeah, we're just biding our time. This was 
about two years ago. And it was actually before the slew price started to turn around. <clears throat> it was literally maybe a month before it bottomed. Um, and then after the slew price turned, you know, six months later, talked to him again, and he was starting to kind of perk up a little bit. And, you know, it's been an interesting thing to, to, to gauge uh, the market based on, on his sentiment, because he's always seemed like he's been pretty honest about his, where he thinks the market is and where it's going. Um, <clears throat> he, he mentioned something, if, if we could talk about it really quick, um, about Kazanaprom. And so, uh, Encore's CEO is Dennis Stover and Dennis Stover's, he's, he's an old school dude, uh, with an ISR specialist. So he, he basically helped to build uh, Cameco and Kazanaprom's uh, Inkai mine, which is an absolute monster of an ISR mine. Just phenomenally huge, massive production, consistent. It's a it's a huge deposit, and he was kind of one of the main guys behind that. And he's their ISR guy. And so I'm sure that this information came from him um, when Bill Sheriff mentioned that Kazanaprom shutting off their production, and it's just not going to come back um to the same levels that it was before and while that statement is correct i don't my understanding is that is not what's going on there. so yes if you if you just flip a switch and shut the fluid flow off in an isr mine you're never really going to get back to the production levels you were at before because you you're maintaining this this fluid flowing through this geological structure and when that stops it's very difficult to to recreate what you had before <clears throat> but Essentially, my understanding is what they're doing, what Kazatomprom is doing, is maintaining that fluid flow because that aspect of their production is not hugely employee-intensive and personnel-intensive. They've got the wells already constructed. The, the, the mechanisms are there to pump and withdraw. <clears throat> and so uh, looking a little bit deeper into this, their actual their guidance that they, that they detailed a little bit in their latest... Um, in the latest financial report, uh, basically is the guidance is the production cuts will come in the second half of the year. And what that is due to is they're, they're slowing down and essentially halting of minefield, um, uh, well field development. And so what the production cuts that are coming from, from Kazanaprom are not happening now. They're happening out the next part, the second half of the year and probably into 2021. The decline rates on on the ISR mines are pretty phenomenal. You all, not only do you have high grading uh, in general for Kazatomprom, you know, drilling their their best stuff first, but you have to constantly be developing new well fields and constantly be drilling, constantly be be expanding simply to maintain production. So that's my understanding of what's going on uh, for Kazatomprom right now is that. Fluid flow has been maintained in their existing wells, but the well field development has fallen off the cliff. Yeah. And that's going to affect production going forward. And obviously no, no uh, exploration or development work either in terms of... Right. Because uh, that is labor intensive. Um, and that's going to have an impact further down the line. So the right. people, people, some people might enjoy hearing that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's interesting because right now we're actually in a seasonally typically low period for uranium um, uh, buying by utilities. Generally speaking, the summertime, moving into the summertime is a slower period. Utilities will come back later, kind of towards the end of Q3. Um, 
with the fiscal year uh, ending and starting in October. Um, this is typically a low part of the year, so it's interesting to note that right when seasonally we would expect um, utilities to kind of potentially come back to the table, not only for contracting, but also for potentially spot market purchasing, we're going to have the, the production impacts for the largest producer in the world. So it'll be interesting how that plays out. You know, the news is hitting us now, but the actual lack of uranium is going to hit us later. That's fascinating. It's, it's, it's fascinating from this, that point of view because we keep talking right. about opaque markets and so forth, and um, you know, no one, no one understands what inventory levels really are around the world. It, that's clear, and I think the stories that you and I have been talking about the past, you know, two, two or three weeks ago was about Kazatom Prom and uh, Cameco using this period as a time to kind of sweep up any loose inventory off the table, um, mm. which may have been doing the rounds. So we've got all of that going on in the background. And then, of course, COVID is obviously affecting um, production in quite a few places. Right. So, so I think, you know, Kazakhstan, I think also, I think the big example there was their, their huge copper mine. Um, they've shut that down because of an yeah. outbreak of of um COVID nineteen. Um you know in I think is it Nurkazgan uh, was the was the uh, where where it was. But they it, it, that in itself, you know, gives clues as to to Kazatom prom as to whether they can or can't, you know, get get back, get things going again. Because I think they thought there was it was under control and perhaps not so much. But um yeah, the, so there's there's there's, there's a lot there's still still a lot of uncertainty around this, and I and I guess you know news seems to change on that front every, on a weekly basis. In that not not many people have seem to have access to the real numbers, and they, they seem to change on a weekly basis. But um, yeah, what I did note is that Namibia seems to be back up and running, not quite at full pelt, but um, has you know allowed people back to work. Uh, mines are back in production. That's got to be good. Uh, for them, um, indeed, and it kind of gives us some clues, starts to give us some clues about the numbers um, or what effect the drop off in Namibia may have had if, if they're doing that. Um, mm. Rick, um, why don't why don't we talk about? Because uh, sorry, I'll just finish off the seasonality thing. It is traditionally slow. Sure, um, the the utility buyers tend to sort of trot along to the WNA wherever that is, in September, and then they go to Nashville for their, their big hooli and they get together, and then the mark, then they start um, contracts typically get signed. Is that, is, that, is that sort of roughly how it works? Because so, yeah. also, that also correlates with, um, correlates, corresponds with um, the U.S. elections, So, which is right. another big factor in all of this. Because I think we, Indeed. We, we were talking before we came on about... Um, some senators, I think there's a cross-party, a bipartisan um, request um, for an extension to the Russian suspension agreement. What, what, what do you know? Right. What do you know? Yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty nice piece of news that came out this week. Um, um, it's really positive to see it as bipartisan, um, with the left and the right not really seeming to get along on damn near anything right now. Um, <clears throat> to see that there was this bipartisan request that the existing Russian suspension agreement, which limits Russian imports to 20% of, of domestic demand, um, that they that that's limited uh, through the end of the year. That expires December 31st of this year. 
And so we're already starting to see talk of, of how to go about um, um, extending that, stopping it, altering it. We'll see how it plays out, but it's, it's very good news to see uh, a bipartisan request to extend, not only to extend it, but they're also proposing that the, the 20% be reduced. Um, uh, and I didn't actually see the, the details of this, but basically uh, reducing in, in the coming years, dropping it down, kind of stair-stepping down, uh, which obviously is kind of a, a stair-stepping approach towards supporting the domestic production, even though that wouldn't cut off, you know, Canada, Australia, African production. But at the very least, it would uh, it would make it would open up the market to these other other markets a little bit more than the than the Russian supply that's been notoriously uh, under underpriced over the years. Yeah, and the and the other big thing, just sticking with the American theme, the moment is uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. These sort of <laughs> East New Year, did I say that right? I'm never sure. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. Great accent, really, too. Really, really. Okay. Ocasio, not Ocasio. Ocasio. Okay, not Ocasio. <laughs> potato. <laughs> okay. You say the potato. Spanish A is ah. Yeah. Is it ah? Okay. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. I like that. I only know that because I'm married to an Argentinian woman. Ah. Ah. I've got to practice my ah. Okay, good. <laughs> I stand corrected. But anyway, the good news is AOC... That's easier, isn't it? AOC yes. has come out in support. Well, I say support. She said she is willing to consider nuclear as part of the energy solution for the U.S. Now, she's a very high-profile, young, dynamic uh, s- senator uh, from New York, um, uses social media extremely well and has kind of got this large, like, what are they? Not millennials anymore. Whatever, whatever comes after yeah. millennials, those guys um who she's made politics slightly more accessible and and interesting and you know she's very she's right. very very democratic um she's extremely way over there uh, green democratic New Deal. socialist absolutely right. there you go so but you know a bright young thing who, who has a big following but i thought it, i thought it was interesting that she would come out a little bit more um, Joe Biden-ish in terms of nuclear, um, because that's that's a big that's a big move for them, isn't it? Or for, certainly for her and and her followers. Yeah, it's, it's great to see. Um, I I think I can only imagine that she came under fire quite a bit after the Green New Deal was announced. There was some pretty insane rhetoric as part of this program um, and proposals, but um, it you know. If if carbon is means the end of the world in ten years, yet you're not in support of nuclear, you're just talking out of both sides of your mouth. So, it's it's clearly a logical thing for for them to include, for her to include, and it just makes sense. I mean, she you, you can't make those kind of claims about about carbon pollution without at least acknowledging the role that existing nuclear plays. Um, so, so that that was, but yeah, it was a good move. It was the first I had ever heard her or her ilk speak in a open, um, potentially positive light about nuclear. So that's a significant shift for sure. Yeah. So would you would you say? Yeah. So I'm asking you, as as the local guy, would you say yeah. that they have until now got it quite wrong with regards to the energy mix? 
Oh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's I think that that's clear. Um, so next question. That- next question. <laughs> next question. If they can get it so wrong with energy, because it's not their specialist field, and there's lots of things which are not their specialist field. Do you, do you where where's your leanings? Because I, I feel like you can study a, a topic for you know superficially and then come out with a big green paper which affects millions of people. Are they doing that? My leanings are just they, are they doing that in other sectors as well? Wait, can you? What's the question exactly? I'm, I'm trying to trying to work out what what your polit- political leanings are. Oh, my uh, political it, leanings. Yeah. Um. Gosh, I honestly I would consider myself, if anything, kind of more on the libertarian side of things. Mm. Uh, generally speaking, I'd say I'd slightly lean right, but you know, historically, my whole life I've been. I would have called myself a Democrat, an environmentalist, uh, at one point even an anarchist, you know, just very, uh, very against kind of uh, the rapidly expanding industrial civilization and the environmental impacts that it has had. And um, at this point, I don't think that, um, I, I, I don't believe personally that carbon as a pollutant is affecting the weather in the way that they claim. I think that the sun cycles affect it much more. So I believe for the most part that the global warming narrative has been mainly a a political sort of agenda. Um, That's my personal belief. But I also believe that, um, you know, there's, there's other negative things that come from fossil fuel burning that isn't carbon. And I think that the global warming narrative and the anti-carbon narrative is really just missing a lot of opportunity for cleaning up our world in other ways. Um, you know, so just heavy metals in the air, uh, mercury in the air, um, acidification of the oceans, you know, all these other things that aren't really discussed when we just hammer home the carbon thing all the time. I think that there's a lot we could all be doing on a local level to, to clean up our environment. And I'm a huge advocate of nuclear, obviously, for just a clean energy source. So I'm not a fan of that narrative. And I, I would say that I lean more towards more to the right of center, but um, I'm happy to see just logic when it's expressed from the left or the right or the center. So wise words, wise words. <laughs> I was pleased to see it regardless of which way I lean. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I'm loving the thought of you as an anarchist. <laughs> has, has your name always been Justin Hune? I, I need to know. Yes, it has. Right. No, I'm not okay. like an like a like a uh, uh, an anarchist in in thought in uh, in intellectual. Ah, anarchist. I like that intellectual yeah. intellectual stimulation. Right. Um, yeah. Well, we better stay away from politics. That's always a dangerous subject, isn't it? Okay. It's always Agreed. a dangerous subject. Um, Agreed. But the the other thing that's been happening along with these new sorry to get a little bit full circle here is a few of these new companies um, cropping up is um, a few of the existing smaller junior uranium uh, companies taking the chance to raise a little bit and I do mean a little bit of capital um, to get things going well with the exception of next year he did a big big you know 30 million but there have been there has been some money raised which is also indicative of sentiment in the marketplace don't you feel the 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 small raises that have been going on, mm. yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Um, I think I mean, we did see some companies raise in the first half, of the first quarter, actually. 
of the year at pretty low valuations. But I think that um, it's, I, I always like to see a raise, a minimal raise, um, especially when the stocks haven't had a massive recovery. I mean, we're, we're, some of them are two to three X off the bottom. But if you look back six to eight months, we're kind of uh, at break even. There's a few standouts, but, um, but yeah, I, a smaller raise is kind of like, okay, we're, we're, we're believing in this. We need some cash, but we're not going to just take advantage of the first pop in the stock price to really hammer shareholders. So it's, I, th I think it's a positive thing to see that there's some equity raises going on that haven't been extremely dilutive. Yeah, I think, I think it's fascinating. I was, I was talking to um, one of the guys that we talked to on a Saturday morning, fund manager out of London. And we, we ended up sort of talking about strategies around, because we were talking about fundraising going on elsewhere, not necessarily in the uranium space, but um, in terms of what institutions want to see, which is go raise all the money you need for the next 18, 24 months and focus on growing the company, please. Whereas I think if you're a kind of smaller uh, retail type investor, you're thinking dilution. Why are you raising? Because I think, who was it? Um, oh, Denison raised some money, didn't they? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think it's about five, six million bucks. And in, given their market cap, it was sort of inconsequential. But I don't think people were looking at that. They were going, well, why are you raising money at these prices? And of course, they'd made the call in the dip to raise because they didn't quite know where this thing was going. Um, right. And it wasn't a brilliant price, but it was only five or six million bucks, which they needed. Right. 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 Um, right. Was the institutional guys are going, good move, great, great. That gives you a pathway uh, <laughs> that we like. Retail guys yeah. losing their minds. Going, <laughs> well, certainly we're on yeah. the channels that we 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 have, and I just I just thought that that that's that's the the difference. You know, different people, even within retail, have different business models because they've got different needs and different timings, and uh, it means you know, as a percentage of invested capital, you know, it's it's. it's you know, whatever whatever it is, it's going to be different for different people. So, I I, I just I just thought you know, it's interesting talking to you about because um, I think you're coming out from the point of view of well, don't don't dilute me. You know, raise what you need to get what you need done, and then come back to market. Is that a, would that be your approach with some of these juniors? Sure, I think I think for existing retail shareholders, um, the 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 timing of I mean we all know the companies that are not cash flowing are going to need to raise funds, mm. um, and I think that in a strongly bullish market, it's it's much less of an issue. You know when we start seeing raises happen at significant premiums to the current price, I think that'll really be kind of a signal that we're that we're in it. Oh, happy um, days, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think for existing retail shareholders, um, if, if a company can time a raise uh, well, I think that, that that looks good for the company. It looks good that's, for existing shareholders. Sometimes that's just potluck. Sometimes it's, it's pot true. Luck. And sometimes it's you true. look like a genius, right? Yep. Sometimes yep. you look like a genius. I, I would, I would, I would um, apply that to the money that uh, Energy Fuels raised a couple of months ago. You know they they got it right. Yeah. Right. So, yep. But yep. I, you know, I, if I asked Mark, he he said, "Yeah, that was uh, good planning on our behalf." I'm going to go. That was lucky. Right. You got lucky. Shareholders were not happy at the at the time, but within a few weeks, he looked pretty pretty smart. Genius, right? Yep. Genius. Yep. Uh, whereas you know, Denison, it, 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 they did it in a dip because they weren't quite sure where this thing was going, and they needed it, and they had you know reduction of capital from elsewhere, right. etc. So. Um, right. But anyway, we should come. We should just keep an eye on some of these companies that raise money, and see what they're going to do with these things. Because you know, I'm thinking of obviously 
Standard and ISO and even Global Energy did a small raise. Company we've talked yep. about in the past. You know, I don't think it was enough, but I guess no. he Stephen had the approach of, well, I'll take what I need for now because this market by the end of this year I think is going to move. So, right. Hindsight yep. is wonderful. Hindsight <clears throat> is wonderful. But let me. I was just. Isn't I want to finish, finish off on one thing, which which I I saw this week, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm wondering, am I going mad or? Or am I seeing something here? And I look like a genius. I look like that that guy from the the, the big short, uh, <laughs> um, Michael Burry. Oh yeah, easily, easily, easily. So, but it's not that big. But um, it, I just thought it's fascinating. Energy Fuels this week announced that they had engaged with a guy called. Here, here we go. If if if, if I thought Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was difficult, get this next one. This guy is called Constantine Karianopoulos. Yep. You get that? <laughs> <laughs> right. I apologize to anyone with that surname. Well done. I just massacred it. Um, but anyway, this guy, this guy's interesting to me. So they, you know, to, for one, Energy Fuels, we spoke to a few weeks ago, and they talked about our oh, process rare earths. We've been talking to people. We've done a few tests. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That just sounds like I, I haven't spoken, haven't done a press release recently. I need something to say. But Agreed. it's got just got serious because this guy, I'll stick with Constantine. Constantine is joining up with a, with <laughs> with, a, with with some of his team. Um, and his and why that's interesting is this guy originally built and sold Mollycorp for about one point three billion. He's kind of a bill sheriff in this space, right? Yeah. And subsequently, the the bars of Molly Court managed to ruin everything, and um, you know the, the company lost a lot of value. A bit. So Constantine came back in and extracted one particular part of his, the company that he had built up called Neo, and um, Neo, along yeah. with um, Linus and Mountain Pass, or you know, you know, three of the biggest rare earth companies in the world. Um, right. So this guy, Constantine, doesn't need. To, to go and get get engaged with um, energy fuels, it you know he's got more more money than right. he needs, and he's running already running a very very big empire in rare earths again. But he has teamed up, and he's brought some of his team on board to help expand whatever it is that energy fuels has at um, presumably the White Mesa facility, which is a very it's it's not. I think when I when I think of Mills, I think of a rickety old conveyor belt uh, in a sort of tin shed, but. Um, this thing is a very sophisticated um, environment in that it deals with radioactive matter, so it needs to be uh, regulated, uh, needs to be um, highly controlled. It's a highly controlled environment, and um, I guess this this team up with um, Neo and Constantine Karianopoulos um, could mean that Energy Fields is serious about rare earths as an option as a revenue stream. I, I get that it's. You know, it's all about uranium and so and vanadium. Secondly, but rare earths as a strategic mineral, as a critical mineral in the U.S., is getting the same kind of voice and attention that uranium is, and obviously, in some cases, radioactive as well. So I just th- I just think that's a big move. Which there's more to come. I, I mean, I don't know anything. I just I think that's one to watch. It's a really interesting move. Um, I think it's pretty smart, actually. Um, I think clearly right now, uh, 
the, the focus on supply chain stability has never been greater. Um, and now more acutely within the past uh, week or two, especially the past few months, but even the past couple of weeks, uh, the rhetoric between United States and China is getting increasingly more uh, combative, let's say. And uh, knowing that the majority of the rare earths that the U.S. consumes are coming from China, I think that there is and will be a, a pretty strong push towards shoring up those domestic supply chains for these critical minerals, um, rare earths being um, of pretty primary importance. I think so. So I think it's pretty smart. I think it's pretty smart. Um, energy fuels, actually, uh, we were talking about Encore and their uh, their Arizona properties are, are these deposits called breccia pipes. Mm. It's a unique deposit, and um, Energy Fuels also has a number of claims in Arizona. They're the second largest claim holder in that in that northern Arizona strip behind Encore. I think Encore still owns probably about eighty percent of those claims. Mm. But <clears throat> um, the breccia pipes have relatively high rare earth grades. Um, not all of them. Um, you know, only about twenty percent of them have uranium, but the ones that do on average have about 5 million pounds of uranium per deposit. And uh, a lot of them have uh, pretty decent uranium, uh, rare earth grades as well. So if you're talking about potentially in the future shipping some ore from these uh, Arizona breccia pipes to the White Mesa Mill, might as well have the means to process the rare earths from them as well, um, especially given the present environment and the way that things seem to be moving for the domestic mineral supply chain. I think it's a pretty smart move. Yeah, yeah. I think so. It, it feels to me like there's, they're trying to create some sort of um, hub. I mean, don't forget that this is a, you know, this is a massive, massive mill. Okay, so, so mm. let's, let's be clear. So it is huge. They're, they are, well, when they're running, they're using one quarter of its capability that it was built for. So they would, you know, I think they need to right. throw, throw some money at this thing if they were ever to get back up there. But I think rare earths are, you know, much smaller um, amounts that they're processing. You know, we're, you know, you know, sort of there is hundred thousand pounds, two hundred fifty thousand pounds. Not, not the sort of volumes that you'd see with uranium or, or vanadium. So um, th there is that. So because right. it's very high margin stuff, but it feels like they're trying to create some kind of critical minerals hub in the U.S. Because the conversations that they will have been having over the last couple of years. With diverse senators and so forth, and you know, Capitol Hill will be the same people who are looking at rare earths. So these are just extensions um, to what it, you know what are strategic minerals for the U.S. So I, I think that's one to watch. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go early and call and call that. And let's, let's, let's say I don't know anything, um, but it just feels to me that that's a, a very big and bold move, which may have been missed by the market um, for the, for this week. Well, there we go, Justin. Right. What a week. We didn't think it was, we thought this was a quiet week. I think we've ended up talking long, <laughs> longer than, it's true. There's a, there's than we talk. Yeah. There's much more, much more going on than, than I had assumed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well done. Um, so what, 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 are you, what are you up to? What are you going to do now? Are you, uh, got some, I, by the way, so guys, they, everyone listening at home. So last time I spoke to Justin, he said, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to build a, a uh, pool out the back, and then you sent me a picture, didn't you? I, I didn't believe it. You you did it in like less than two days. It's phenomenal. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well done. I'm still is that, is that still thing? Is that finished. thing still standing? 
<clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm building a deck around it now. So wow. Yeah, yeah. It gets really hot where I live, and the beaches are still closed. Well, they're open, but you can't. You can walk, but you can't sit. Apparently, so. Um, so nice. as okay. far as my wife is concerned, they're closed uh, because you you want to just stay and sit in the sun for a few hours and relax, but you can't do that yet. Hopefully they'll open up soon. So for now, we're we're hedging our bets with this with this little stock tank pool and, and building a little deck around it and trying to make the, the the home space as comfortable as possible during all this craziness. That is impressive. Yeah, I'm impressed. I, I, yeah, how about you? I, I, I have no skills like that, none whatsoever. Um, You're keeping bees. You've got some skills. That's true. That's true. Um, I am all about the e- ESG. <laughs> got keeping bees got got two hives now it's it's exciting times uh for sure um i think they think they think they would have been having a little bit of a difficult time the past couple of days the the, the winds are up here they're they're howling a gale and we've had some tree surgeons in just removing branches um around the edges of the garden because they uh these are big trees these are 40 50 foot trees which I think if something comes down on you, you're going to know all about it. And this is the time of year with the when the leaves are coming through, the the, the trees are getting, you know, the branches are getting quite heavy, um, and the older ones tend to sort of take a chance to uh, exit south. And uh, we have to right. be picking up a lot right. of debris at the moment. So yeah. So no, I wish yeah. I was wish I was doing yeah. exciting things like that. But I, I I will. I've had a swim today, and I will be swimming tomorrow because my children tell me I'm getting I'm getting a corona belly. God, is that a thing? That's a thing. I, oh, no. I, I thought I thought Corona haircut was the thing, but the Corona belly is is the thing, and uh, they are quite upset about this. <laughs> daddy, daddy <laughs> is a fatty. That's what I'm getting. Um, but, but there's one 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 other thing I, do, I just need to think. Uh, thank you for. Uh, I, I now um, have another phrase in my armory from the from the uh, from North America. Screwed the pooch. That's that's a, that's the thing, right? <laughs> Screwed the pooch. I don't even know you what it means. You have heard that one before? No, never heard it. It's a good one. Uh, What's it mean? You just really messed. You really messed something up. Really messed it up. You screwed the pooch. Okay. Yeah. Like you, you killed the deal. You. Uh, yeah. You you messed something up. It's sort of like you messed it up, sort of beyond repair, I guess. Beyond repair. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 yeah. hope your uh, deck doesn't go that way. I hope you don't screw no, the pooch no. with the deck. Okay. Certainly not. <laughs> okay. Justin, thank you so much. Wonderful to speak to you. Um, next week, you think we should do it? Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Okay, buddy. Yeah. Speak I'll, to you always then. Always a pleasure, Matt. Okay. Have a good night. Thanks.